everyone, and welcome back to The Wheelchair Activist. This is a podcast hosted by me, Emma Vogelman, where I talk to some amazing disabled people and some amazing allies of the disabled community. Today, I am talking to Holly Took. Holly is one of my absolute favorite disability bloggers. She blogs about all things related to disability, concerts, and her day-to-day life as a blind person. Her blog is called Life of a Blind Girl, and I couldn't recommend it more. I'm so, so excited to be chatting to Holly for the first time properly in the years that I've been a fan of hers. I did have my down days, and I did have days when I was really confused, and I thought, what am I doing? The world is inaccessible, but also, I thought, I want to document this. I think... By opening up the world to assistive tech and allowing, in a, in a way, assistive tech into our lives, whether you have a disability or not, you're opening up the world for disabled people and you're normalising this technology. The pressure I put on myself and how societal pressures and assumptions surrounding disability made me put the pressure on myself because I thought I had to be this perfect disabled person no matter how you are feeling, no matter your perceptions on your disability that day, those feelings are valid and it's okay to feel how you are feeling. Well, Holly, thank you so, so much for joining me on the Wheelchair Activist. I was just saying before I pressed record that I've known of you and I've known your work for so long, but it's so, so nice to actually be talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's really nice to speak to you after, I guess, talking online for ages. I don't really know when we started talking. I think it must have been a couple of years ago now. But yeah, it's so nice to speak to you in person, albeit virtually. Yeah, yeah, it's so strange. I was trying to think of a time frame as well, but I think I first became properly aware of you and your writing when I joined Scope um, because you have been a fantastic blogger for um, Scope's sort of digital platform, um, which is called The Big Hack. Um, You've written a lot of really amazing articles about sort of navigating the web with a visual impairment. But um, if you want to give our listeners a little intro to you and what you do, that would be fantastic. Yeah, of course. So hi, my name's Holly. I am a disability blogger, freelance writer. As Emma just said, I've done a lot of articles for The Big Hack, which is honestly amazing. I always love writing for The Big Hack. Um, And I also, aside from the blog, my day job is that I work within the charity sector as a social media officer. And thanks to my disability activism and blogging and all of that good stuff, it really helps me, I guess, find my love for communication, social media and that was the path that I really wanted to lead down and I knew where I wanted to go. Um, I started that role in September 2021, so it's been a year now. Um, and prior to that, I actually worked at a university as an assistive technology advisor. Um, so kind of everything has kind of come into LinkedIn one way or another. Um, as part of that role, I trained students how to use assistive technology and spoke a lot about accessibility and also did a lot of promotion of the service on social media. So yeah, I kind of felt my way 
to communications was the right role for me and doing freelancing bits on the side. So yeah, I do a little bit of a mixture of everything. Um, and away from the blog and the writing and the activism, you can usually find me listening to music, pop music in general, kind of more specifically, um, reading a good audio book or a concert or just spending time with my family and friends. What a lovely intro. Um, it's funny because, um, I mean, so much of that really overlaps with sort of my story of how we sort of fall into these careers almost by accident really and of course so much of what you and I like have bonded over a lot is our like love of live music and stuff like that you actually just recently wrote an article for me over on the big hack about your experience of trying to buy concert tickets um with um someone with a visual impairment and trying to use a big name um ticketing website and I am so nosy. I just had to ask you who you were going to see, um, <laughs> even though it wasn't really relevant. You know, it's not, it's not the artist's fault, but I was just curious um, who you were seeing. And I, yeah, I just think that uh, what an interesting career you've had going into sort of from assistive tech into communications. Like, was it, what was it that sort of prompted that? shift for you. I know that you said you promoted the program on social media, but sort of, yeah, how did that come about? Yeah, it's a really interesting one. Um, So as a bit of background, I actually did a degree in children, young people and families, which is a really long course title, but essentially it was a mix of sociology and psychology. And whilst doing that degree, I went through a various number of career paths I saw myself doing and wanted to do. So that ranged from teaching to social work. And then I decided they weren't for me. And towards the end of my degree, I thought, well, I you know, I do kind of some disability activism. I'd started my blog and I thought I, I really just can see myself, you know, pardon the pun there, doing something within the world of disability. And I didn't know what, because to be completely honest, I'm from up north and there aren't that many disability related jobs up here. And pre-pandemic homeworking, you know, it, it wasn't what it is now and we're very mm. lucky to be home working and I was just thinking oh what am I going to do um we'd love to be in London but I'm unfortunately not in London yet um and then a role within assistive tech came up and I thought well you know I've done a lot of volunteering within the world of assistive technology I've done various accessibility bits and bobs and you know I have a keen interest and I got that role and it you know it was fantastic and I loved it and then whilst doing that part-time job that was when I got into freelance writing and did more disability activism and used my social media platforms in that way you know social media is a place for me where I share my experiences try to use my platforms to raise awareness and educate others and essentially that was the element of you know the two strands of my work that really gave me the buzz and I thought I just I want to tie these together but how can I do it and then I thought well I'm just going to keep working and then I got my freelance role with the big hack and that essentially tied together assistive technology accessibility and 
freelance writing communications because I was creating social media posts for promoting the articles I was writing for you guys and that kind of thing. And I thought, you know what, this is where I want to be. And so I just kind of looked within roles within social media and communications. And I knew I really wanted to be in the charity sector. I'd done volunteering for a number of charities within the past and as when I was a teenager and whilst I was at uni, I thought this is where I want to be. And then a role came up at RNIB where I currently am as social media officer and I applied and was very lucky enough to get the role. And I think, I think having the sense of tying everything together, putting the two elements of my life that I'm so passionate about, you know, social media kind of using my platform and showing the greater good of social media because we often hear the negatives but when used in the right way when you think about how powerful and impactful your platforms can be with my love and passion for accessibility and supporting my community of blind and visually impaired people you know I'm registered blind myself and I just thought it, it just brings every single element into one so I think it was a mixture of all of those things that led me to where I am today. What an interesting like career path really and all of those the opportunities that sort of came up at the right time and sort of spoke to you in different ways led you to where you are now and I really am curious about this because I don't think it's something that you and I've hugely talked about but that you might have written about but did you go into university thinking that you wanted to do something with disability or sort of was there a moment that made you think, okay, this is an area that I want to explore professionally? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that anyway, because this is something I think I'm so keen to get the message across that there's a lot of pressure when you start university or when you finish sixth form, college or whatever you go on to do after school, that once you've done that, you have to go on to have a career within whatever field you're doing next. So you say you study a particular course at university, that's what your whole life is mapped around. And I'm very much proof of that. When I went to university, I did not know what I wanted to do. I did not have in my mind that I wanted to work within the field of disability at all. When I started uni, I, you know, I go as far as saying I was probably very different person. My attitudes towards my disability were completely different. I, I didn't see the whole beauty of my disability. I didn't see it for what it is today. And it's at uni that I really started to grow as a person and as a disabled person. And that's when I thought, you know what? I want to use my experiences. I want to work within the world of disability and to support people who have gone through similar experiences to me are just like me. So no, I did not have that in mind at all, but I'm so glad I did because I'm so glad I, f I found my path. And I think if I could go back to uni now, I would probably do a very different course. I mean, don't, that's not to say I didn't love my course because I absolutely did and I wouldn't have changed it for the world. But I think knowing what I know now, knowing where my career has taken me, what path I want to be on, I think I would have definitely done a different course that maybe would have helped me get there quicker, who knows, or given me more skills. But yeah, I did not have that career path in mind so it's really strange how it works out in funny ways isn't it yeah it really is and I I'm really curious as to what the experience was like for you supporting students find assistive tech and I think you know can you give our audience a little bit of an overview of what 
assistive tech is? Because I think people have this sort of very unique idea on like, you know, what it is. Is it a dictation software or is it a modified mouse or, you know, so can you sort of give a very broad definition of assistive tech? Yeah, of course. So I would say that assistive technology is the range of software tools and devices that people use to access everyday technology. So that could be things like computers, mobile phones, tablets. And in that, it enables us to do a range of daily tasks. So it could be completing university assignments. It could be finding out what's on packaging or helping you get from A to B. And assistive technology is essentially both equipment and software. So right now at the minute, I am using a standard Windows laptop with a screen reader called JAWS. Next to me is an iPhone with a built-in screen reader. And somewhere in this room, there's also a piece of equipment called a Braille display. So it's a range of tools, devices, and software. And I said that people use because there seems to be this misconception that disabled people use assistive technology and it's solely for disabled people, but not necessarily. Everyone can use a range of assistive technology and devices because, you know, it can benefit everyone. And as part of my role at the university, I help to promote it to the whole university community, so students and staff, because there's a lot of benefits. So maybe if, for example, a student or a staff member was struggling to stay organised, there was a piece of assistive technology software for that. Or if they wanted to make notes or struggle to proofread their work, they could use text-to-speech software. And it's basically for everyone, you know, there's something out there that we can all use and all benefit from. Um, And I think, you know, people have different requirements when it comes to assistive technology so I'm using a screen reader and that's not to say that's solely for people who are blind or visually impaired people who have dyslexia for example may use a screen reader so it's about finding the tools and pieces that work for you and remembering that it's not just for disabled people it can be for anyone. I I was really hoping that you would cover that because I think that that's so important for people to understand and maybe not realize that they're using assistive tech or that it might have been designed for a disabled person in mind, but doesn't mean that they can't benefit from it. I mean, just when you were saying about um, that you have an iPhone, I remember the first time I saw the assistive touch feature on an iPhone, it was a non-disabled person who was using it. And I felt like, oh, what's that? You know, a little circle on the side of their screen that they could move around. And I saw that that's how they were able to do screenshots or screen grabs um, instead of pressing the buttons on either side of the physical phone. I thought, oh my God, you know, that opens up that opportunity for me. But I just thought it was interesting that it was a non-disabled person who was using that and didn't even realize that it was for potentially, you know, someone who struggles to press buttons or to reach the top of the screen or whatever, whatever it might be. Um, and they were just using it because they thought it was easier. Yeah, that is really interesting. And I think the 
direction we're going now is such a positive one and I do hope it continues because this assistive technology is in all of our lives. So if you pick up your phone or you've got a smart speaker, it's there and they are pieces of assistive technology essentially that have features that can enable you to get things done or to maybe make things easier, like you said. So yeah, and I think there's also this misconception that if you are non-disabled and you don't have a disability, then people think, well, I don't need to use assistive technology because I don't have a disability or I don't have a need for it. But if it helps you maybe complete a task or make something that bit easier, then why not? Because no one wants to struggle. Completely, completely agree. And I think people may not even realize that you know, just when you were listing some of those other examples you said about a screen reader helping you as a blind or visually impaired person, but also someone with dyslexia, I thought, well, what if you're the type of person who just happens to absorb information better from hearing it rather than reading it? Or it could be the other way around where, you know, you may want to use a different type of software. You know, everyone's different and everyone absorbs information differently and communicates information differently. So why would we not want to explore software or pieces of equipment that can help us do that in the best way for us? Yeah, I completely agree with you. That's, yeah, it's just, you know, 100% in. We always want to do things that can make our lives easier or mm. help us in any way possible. And I think by opening up the world to assistive tech and allowing, in a, in a way, assistive tech into our lives, whether you have a disability or not, when you really think about it, you're opening up the world for disabled people and you're normalizing this technology. So for many of us, some of the more specialist software that isn't built into our phones or computers, it can be expensive. But when people are aware as, of assistive technology and the benefits it can have, it then removes the barriers of, well, I can maybe get that for a member of my staff or a colleague, or I can help a family member get access to something they need and without having those stigmas attached to it. I think that that's, that's really, really important to remember, especially, you know, when we're talking to a wide audience, you know, I really want the information in this podcast and then it my writing and edit, and I know that you do in your writing as well. We really want it not just to be read by disabled people, which is incredibly valuable in itself, but also by non-disabled people who, like you say, could think, oh, I know someone who could benefit from that. And, you know, let me use this information and pass it on. I think that's so important that everyone is equipped with that knowledge. Definitely. And I obviously don't want to speak on behalf of both of us, but one thing I know I've seen from your writing and your social media content as well, which overlaps with mine, is that we want to educate non-disabled people. We want to yeah. share our knowledge. We want to share our experiences, both to disabled people and non-disabled people. And, you know, we want to strike that balance essentially in, in helping both communities. Couldn't agree more. And with your blog can you tell us a little bit about your blog like what what do you write about you meant we've talked a bit about like what you write for 
the big hack, but for your own site, what is it that you like to write about? Yeah, of course. So I am the author of a blog called Life of a Blind Girl, and I started that in 2015. So I was in my first year of university at the time. And I think I would go as far as saying I started it for a number of reasons to, I guess, in a way, have an outlet to share my experiences, to share my feelings and my thoughts, because I would go as far as saying that during that time, I was going through a period of transition in terms of my disability. I was going from a time when I'd just finished sixth form, was into university. Sixth form was a really difficult two years for me. And, you know, I'll hold my hands up and I will admit that in terms of disability related things, because I felt so different to my peers and everyone was sighted and I was the only blind person. And in some ways, I guess I resented that. And then when I went on to university, I started to really see the light and really find people that not only saw my disability, but also saw me. And they kind of completed the jigsaw. And then that made me and my whole outlook on my disability completely change. I went from, you know, having a very much, well, why am I so different? Why, what do I need to do to fit in to I'm going to embrace these differences. And I I took on a more of a social model of disability approach. And I wanted to share those feelings because you know what? I did have my down days and I did have days when I was really confused. And I thought, what am I doing? The world isn't accessible. But also I thought, I want to document this and I want to share how I'm feeling right now to look back on and think, you know what, how it's changed. And I'm really proud of the milestones I took. But the main overarching reason I started is because I wanted to raise awareness of disability. I wanted to share my experiences of education as just living as your pretty much average girl in her 20s who was, you know, just happens to be blind. And on my blog, I think you can probably tell that from my content. So I talk about all aspects of living with a disability from university to employment to my everyday experiences of accessibility or a lack of accessibility, sharing tips and advice on making social media accessible, making blogging accessible to your documents and how to be a good disability ally to the more everyday things like a day Mm. in my life. And particularly as well, one thing I started to do a few years ago is share my concert experiences because although not specifically disability related, access at concerts, like we've already said at the very beginning, is a really big element and I love concerts and Mm. accessibility is a huge part of that. So I started to document my experiences on my blog. So yeah, it's pretty much a mixture of everything in my life. I um, was looking at your blog, obviously, before this um and i really was hoping that it'd be a way for me to bring up that on your homepage in the area that you have um concerts you know that box for you to look at that contact there's just casually a picture of you with sean mendes (laughs) (laughs) and i just thought you would go yes you know i just i love that that was like i know such a good example of you know this is me uh, a concert, you know, but this is such a an amazing picture. But there's this one particular piece that has really stuck with me that you wrote, and it's about trying to be the perfect disabled person. And 
sort of the difficulty that comes with that. I was wondering if we could explore that a little bit. I don't, you know, it's probably been a little while since you wrote that piece, but it just really stuck with me because I think a lot of disabled people will feel pressure. And I know that I do. And obviously I don't want to speak for everyone, but you know, just what you were saying about how you have down days, same as everyone else. I sometimes feel like there is a pressure as a disabled person, particularly a, an activist and an advocate like you and I, that sometimes it's bad to mention those, you know, we're meant to be positive and we're meant to be at B and tenacious and all of that. But I sort of what inspired you to write that piece? I think it was a number of things. As you just so perfectly put it, it was that feeling of, yes, as activists who use our platforms in this way, we do have down days and that is okay because at the end of the day, we are human. We are just disabled people. And although we choose to speak about our disability in such a way, it doesn't mean to say that we love it every single day of the year, 365 days a year, 52 Mm. weeks, you know, we we have those days where we're completely sick of the lack of accessibility it does our head and we get frustrated about not being able to access a website or something like that and sometimes it's just the small things that really get to you and it was that and also I was reflecting on my life so far so I wrote that piece not long after I'd started my current job and looking back to how my views on my disability had changed in the fact that I spent so many years, and yes, I still do, of trying to prove myself to others, trying to prove that, oh, I'm worthy of having a job. Oh, I'm worthy of going to get this grade. Oh, I need to work harder than my sighted peers because if I don't, then I'm going to be left behind. But also the pressure I put on myself and how societal pressures and assumptions surrounding disability made me put the pressure on myself because I thought I had to be this perfect disabled person and I looked at it and thought I really don't have to be this perfect disabled person because I have people in my life colleagues friends and family that say to me don't apologize or don't apologize for asking for them to be accessible or you don't have to prove yourself and I think over the last few months, I've really noticed how much pressure I put on myself to be a perfectionist, to strive to be the best version of myself, which is obviously really important. But at the same time, it doesn't have to come at the cost of burning myself out or trying to reach goals that I know I maybe don't want to get to or just doing something that I'm not passionate about or is not achievable for me and as well the thing of I'm not perfect and I'm never going to be the perfect disabled person because no one is perfect whether you are disabled or not there's Mm. no such thing as a perfect person and I think the overlapping element of disability and just being you know again a girl in her 20s really stood out and how those things came together because I think it was a moment of realisation that 
okay, I try to prove myself and I try to do whatever I can to get to where I want to be in life. But it doesn't have to come at being a perfectionist because ultimately it's just exhausting. Yeah, it really is. And so much of what you just said, I was thinking, yeah, yeah, exactly how I feel. And it's that I do need to constantly, exactly as you said, to be better than your non-disabled peers because you think that, you know, your employer's taken a chance on you or it's a gamble. They could have gone with, you know, a non-disabled choice, which stereotypically people view as the safer choice. And how did you get to the point of being like, okay, I I see that pressure. I acknowledge that pressure. I'm going to choose not to listen to it anymore. I think I'm still on that journey. And I think I 100% can say that I have those days when that pressure does win at times. I guess the main thing for me that when I try not to let it win, I try not to listen to that pressure is to tell myself, you've got through mainstream education, you went on to university, you've achieved things that non-disabled people said you wouldn't achieve because you're blind, you're, you're disabled. And if I listened to that pressure, I would have cracked and I wouldn't have done any of those things. I wouldn't be in the job I'm in today. I wouldn't be doing my activism. And I just remind myself of the things that I'm worthy of doing what I'm doing and celebrate the small things. So taking it one step at a time and telling myself that, right, if we take this now, we're just going to break it into chunks. And I think that really helps because it helps to take the pressure off. And I think the more I've accepted and learned to love being a disabled person has helped to push that pressure aside because I've become more confident. I've become more willing to adapt and more, I guess the word is comfortable in advocating for myself and others and knowing what I want. I think I'm comfortable in my own skin. I'm comfortable being a disabled person and really saying, yes, I'm not going to let this pressure win and I'm going to completely flip it and show you what I can do and show myself that it's not going to get me anywhere if I let it break through and take hold. And I really liked what you said about burnout and if you give in to that pressure and you sort of let it rule what you're doing and what pace you're working at and, and everything that you will burn out and you won't be able to achieve the things that you want to or that you feel that you need to because you've put yourself under this pressure for the entire disabled community. I don't know if you feel like that, but sometimes I feel that, you know, we're in a very privileged position, people like you and I, where we have a social media presence that people listen to. We have connections. We have an ability to write and influence and all of those amazing things. And we're doing that with the weight of other people who experience the barriers that we do with us. Um, and, you know, I think your examples of, you know, trying to buy a concert ticket is sure it's, it's a little thing, seemingly little, um, 
but it can just really get it can really affect you when you're faced with an accessibility barrier and you think that well I have to do something about this because I don't want the next person who has my disability or my impairment to go through it. So I don't know if that sort of resonates with you at all on sort of the weight of the the rest of the community. That relates with me so much and all of what you said describes everything, how I feel. And yeah, I can really resonate with that. I think for me, that is what really gives me the fire in my belly to put the energy and the time into advocating for something. You know, I could have just left the concert ticket experience, but I thought, I don't want someone else to miss out. I don't want someone else to go through that experience of not being able to do something so fun or something so simple that everyone else can do. And I wanted to do what I could to change that, whether it does, whether it doesn't, who knows. And going back to what you said about the community, I think being completely honest here and being a completely open book, I feel pressure from the community sometimes because I look at other people and I think they are absolutely smashing it and I'm not. And again, it's letting that Mm. pressure creep through. So for example, for me, when I started blogging, blogs were a huge thing and now everything's turned to more video content such as TikTok and Instagram Reels. And it's not necessarily for me. Sometimes I will do videos for various things, but I'm not a TikTok creator. I wish I was. And there's those challenges as well of doing it as a blind person because it's not the most accessible thing to do. And sometimes I think to myself, oh, blogging isn't the thing anymore. Why am I bothering? And then I think it's got me to where I am today. It's my platform and I want to own that platform. So yeah, I think I feel pressure from both sides, but it's how I flip the coin and turn that pressure into something positive and really get rid of those thoughts to tell myself, no, you, you're not thinking mm. like that. You're not letting it win. Yeah, I really get that. And I agree with the reels as well. Like I, I much prefer the type of content where, you know, it might be an Instagram post that has text in it. And I feel the need to say, if you are going to do a post like that, please do put the text in the alt text. Um, function on Instagram and same with Twitter as well. But I I really prefer written content and sort of absorbing things that way. So when you were saying, oh, you know, is the blog worth doing? I was thinking, oh God, please still do it because I <laughs> I really do love the content that you make. And I remember I I know that I've been been talking about it, but the piece that you wrote about being the perfect disabled person, I really just read on the right day when I just really felt like I wasn't doing enough or I was I I constantly have feelings of being a bad disabled person for you know exactly what you said earlier about how we don't have to love it every single day of the year for the rest of our lives and it's I don't think it's possible to love it every day truthfully um because it comes with barriers and it comes with challenges every day to every little thing really that I think a lot of other people could take for granted but I don't ever blame people for that because if they're not presented with a barrier why would they realize that it's always a barrier for someone else um 
But I think that it's so important that there are people who are getting their perspectives out there and who are sort of challenging this internalized messaging that we need to be amazing just to be seen as worthy. Yeah, completely agree. And we talk a lot about internalized ableism. Mm. I think internalized messaging is something we should be speaking a lot about more because it is so important and it's a part of everything we do. You know, we've both had experiences, say, in our jobs, for example, or online when we've felt like we aren't a good enough disabled person or like we're not doing enough. And it's how we view ourselves that ultimately links to what we do as activists and in our jobs, because those are the parts that everyone else sees. So if we're saying to ourselves, I'm not a good enough disabled person, that is going to reflect in everything else we do. And I think us having this conversation now, hopefully will make people realise that it's okay to have your down days. It's okay to have those days where you think, this is rubbish. I'm really frustrated. I'm just going to do something for me. And alternatively, it's okay to have them days when you think, you know what, I'm going to show the world what I'm made of. But I think it's about finding the balance between the two and knowing that no matter how you are feeling, no matter your perceptions on your disability that day, those feelings are valid and it's okay to feel how you are feeling. That's so, so important. And I really want anyone who's listening to this, if they are disabled or they have an impairment, to really hear that because it's so easy to forget um, and sort of feel that you're not being everything that you could be to either yourself or to the community, but your feelings are really, really valid. And yeah, I just, you you couldn't have put it better. Um, (laughs) Thank you. And the thing is as well, the community care. So for example, we care about each other and we can relate to each other. And if you're feeling like you maybe want to talk about an amazing experience you had in terms of accessibility, go for it. If you want to let everything out and you're looking for some support, that's okay too. And reach out to the community because everyone deep down, whether they share it or not, completely gets it. Oh, 100%. I have found the best friends in the disabled community with, you know, people like you who I've never spoken to properly. I've never met in person, but, you know... I I know that you understand what my life is like better than a lot of people who I do see every day. And the community can provide such peer support and that level of understanding. It's incredibly valuable. Um, so absolutely, if anyone's listening to this and they feel that anything sort of sounds like them and they want to explore it, you know, please do reach out to whoever is saying it, or if you read someone's blog or see a TikTok or whatever it might be where something hits you, because I can, I presume this is the same for you, but when you get those messages, it really makes you feel that what you're doing is worthwhile. I always say that if I have impacted just one other person with some piece of content that I create, that I've, I've done my job, really. 
Could not agree more. For me, those messages are why I do it, not the messages ultimately, but the reasons behind those messages. And I can't even put into words how it makes me feel. It's just, it's just the most incredible feeling. And receiving messages like that and knowing that people have taken the time out of their day to reach out and say, your blog post helped me or thank you for sharing that because I feel the same or thank you for being so open. It's just makes me think, yeah, I'm so glad I put that piece of content out or really bared my soul in that blog post because there's nothing better than hearing you've helped someone else. If if you help one person, then yeah, definitely that I might say my job is done too. Yeah, I I really, really agree with that. And I want to sort of talk about your job now. Um, so you're a social media officer as well as doing sort of freelance writing. I'd love to know a bit about what does an average day in your life look like? That's a great question. Yeah, so I work part-time within my current job. Um, Those hours work for me because as well as my vision impairment, I also have MECFS, which is a chronic illness. So that means I struggle with fatigue quite a lot. Um, And it makes sure that I can manage that and as well do all the other things I do and that I don't get bent out and do too much and can just keep a really good balance on everything and keep the lid on basically. So an average day, my days are very varied. Um, In the morning, I'll tend to do, when I get up, I'll tend to do all the mundane tasks and get ready for the day. And then I'll, if I have time before work, I'll sometimes do a couple of freelance and blogging emails Or if I need to, if I'm particularly struggling with fatigue, I'll rest before work and then I'll log on to my work computer. So I work from home and then I'll usually have some meetings about some campaigns or some upcoming content or projects. I'll probably work on some content, possibly deliver a training session on making social media accessible. It's a whole host of things. And I think the reason I love it so much is because it's so varied and one day is not the same. And a huge part of my role is helping the blind and partially sighted community. So what we would call community management is essentially when people reach out on social media, because it's often the first place people want to reach out to. Maybe they don't want to make a phone call, maybe they don't want to write an email. They want to use social media to reach out to an organisation We'll give them support and advice. And I think that's, I'd go as far as probably saying that's one of my favorite or if not my favorite parts of my role, because knowing that I'm helping others who maybe felt like me one time or who are looking for some support is just so rewarding. And yeah, so it's a real mix and no day is the same, um, but I love all of the aspects of my role. And then once I finish work at 5 p.m., I'll usually have a little rest, grab something to eat and do some blogging or do a bit of freelance writing or lucky enough to do something like this every now and then. And once I've done that, I'll usually take some time for myself later on in the evening and just make sure I wind down and recharge and rest a little. So yeah, it's a very mixed and full on day. Gosh, it certainly sounds it, but you sound very productive. Um, I try. (laughs) But I, um, I think it's so interesting what you said about like the engagement on social media and the reaching out for support and I think a lot of people don't realize that that is like you said 
where a lot of disabled people start, you know, where they're trying to get information. Because if you think about it, if you are not familiar with other people in the disabled community, but you might know of like your organization, RNIB, who specializes in the type of disability or impairment that you have, you know, following them on social media seems like a likely first step. So being in charge of how people interact with that content and how you can engage with people and respond to messages from people asking for support is really important because it could be the first interaction that they really have with the community, really. Yeah. And I think that's what makes it so crucial. So we are sometimes the first point of contact and it's how you build that connection and make sure that people are receiving any support they need, making sure that you're make, um, giving them the right support, giving them the right tools, advice, and ultimately to make their decisions to what they want to do next and making sure they have all the info they need. So if someone is maybe new to a sight loss diagnosis or reaching out to scope because their disability is quite a new thing, then they need as much information as they can have. And I think the thing about social media is we can provide them with the tools, advice, support and information right at their fingertips because there's so much info out there. It can often be overwhelming and nowhere to start, but the fact that we're here to help is I think probably a relief in some ways because people think, right, I, I have this information now and I can in a way make headway and where I want to go next and maybe start the next direction, go on, go to the next step and start that journey, whatever it may be. And I'm really interested in your interactions on social media, particularly with your social media officer hat on. Do you think that it's more younger disabled people so sort of our age and younger or would you say it's older disabled people who tend to reach out the most that's a really good question and I feel like this is a really diplomatic answer but it's the truth it's a real mix Mm. there are young people like ourselves who are I guess more savvy in using social media because in many ways it's what we've grown up with and Mm -hmm. Older people have had to adapt to using social media, which is absolutely fine. You know, I'm sure when we're older, there's going to be probably robots and whatever else we're adapting to living with, whereas the younger generation will be like, oh, it's been here all our lives. Yeah, it's a real mix. And I think it's so interesting in that way because it's just showing that people are coming together. People are using the platforms that they feel comfortable with, no matter their age, to reach out, find support and share their experiences often as well. That's really interesting. And I sort of anticipated that that would be your answer, but I was interested because I think a lot of people might assume that it's, you know, more on the young side of disabled people who are using social media and reaching out. But I've really found that older disabled people, and by older, I don't mean, you know, old, you know, pension age old, but I just mean sort of older than you and I, because those are some of the friendships that I've really, really valued that I've made on social media because they have a more lived experience than I do. And they really, you know, like we were saying earlier, we don't want people who come 
after us to experience the same barriers that we have. So if you can give someone a bit of a heads up or a leg up or whatever you want to call it on what might be helpful for them, it could just save them so much time and so much frustration. Yeah, couldn't have said it better. And we learn from each other. So as older people, they're learning from us, but ultimately we're learning from them as well. So I think it's a two-way thing. Yeah, absolutely. And with your own blog, we talked about people reaching out and how impactful that is to us as content creators. But where do you want to see your blog going? Because you said that you are freelance and you do work part-time. So what are your ambitions for life of a blind girl? I'm definitely going to continue. So you're stuck with me for a while longer yet. Oh, <laughs> love it. I think I just want to really keep sharing my experiences, keep raising awareness, educating others and using my platform in any way I can, whether that's my blog, social media or both. Yeah, I just I just want to continue what I'm doing. And I do really want to keep the freelance side of my life in, in a way because it allows me to get creative, to use my lived experience in a way I don't wouldn't tip in a way I typically wouldn't use it yeah so I just I just really want to continue it and hopefully getting more opportunities as they come fingers crossed and yeah just see where it goes I think that that's so exciting though if you don't have sort of a oh I want to you know be the next ex-blogger vlogger or whatever it might be I think it's really nice to sort of see how something grows organically and I mean I can speak from my experience with the wheelchair activists even though technically the wheelchair activist as a brand is less than a year old but me as a blogger has been going since 2016 and it's so nice and incredible to see how things just evolve naturally and where things go in the direction that you go I don't know about you but I mean some of the content that I've created more recently if you had asked me if I'd be comfortable writing that x number of years ago I would have said absolutely not um but it's so nice to you know have that organic evolution oh completely many years ago for example I wouldn't have wrote about being the perfect disabled person because I thought I had to be the perfect disabled person and I wouldn't have wrote about going against that norm and going against that ideology because to me I didn't see it that way and another post I wrote fairly recently I mean it must have been a year or two now is about disability and body image and that was a really personally hard one for me to write about because it was something I was really personally struggling with at the time and I really opened myself up there and I think a few years ago I I wouldn't have done that at all so I feel really proud to have grown and evolved in that way and like you said as well just seeing it grow organically and not having any real major goals in mind not wanting to be like someone else just being yourself and being true and authentic makes you feel really proud when a piece does well or it really resonates with people because when you put everything into that piece, you know, a, a blog post or a podcast 
don't just take five minutes. They take a long time to put together. So when you're seeing it being shared or people interacting with it, it's just an amazing feeling. And you think all that time was so worth it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I really agree with that. And the, the reward just feels so nice. Um, when you have really invested and I just really want to say when you were talking about the body image piece, I, I remember reading it, but I, just was sitting here thinking as you were saying that wow she's brave and god I wish I could be that brave because that is a really amazing thing to be able to write about as scary as it is um so I just want to yeah give I don't know do the kids still say give you major props (laughs) they probably don't but um you know I just I really really respect and admire that um and it's something that I wish I was brave enough to do maybe one day. Yeah, you know, don't put, again, like we've previously said, don't put pressure on yourself. I think the time will come when you want to share your experiences and I think it will feel natural. For me, it came at a time when I was really struggling with the whole idea of disability and body image and how I was just, I felt so different to everyone else. I Mm. felt like I didn't, I just looked the part. I, I felt like my blindness really was so visible. And when I cast my mind back to writing that post, in many ways, it came from a place of, I need to write this not only for everyone else, but in a way for myself, because I need mm. to let how I feel out and use it as a cathartic outlet. But yeah, no, thank you. I, I'm so glad in a way, you know, you found that piece like you can resonate to it because mm. yeah, it, it took a lot of courage to put that out in the world. And because I didn't know what reception I was going to get from people because it was so different to what I've shared and similar to something I wrote recently about not being an inspiration simply for being disabled and another mm. one on how my disability doesn't make me brave. These are pieces that are not necessarily your typical disability related outgoing easy to write pieces they are very much on the line and when I publish them I'm not gonna lie I do feel nervous so knowing that they are helping in some ways definitely helps with those nerves oh well the next time you are feeling nervous about posting one of those you can text me and I will remind you how just absolutely amazing you are and how wonderful of a writer I think you are and how brave it is for you to be sharing those really personal experiences. Um, So do take me up on that should you ever need it. (laughs) Thank you so much. Likewise, we all need some support from time to time from someone who can just say, I get it and I'm going to sit and read it when you put it out there or I'm going to sit and listen because, yeah, it's Mm. just I think it helps knowing you have that support. Oh, 100%. 100% it does. Oh, Holly, I just wanted to say a massive thank you for coming on The Wheelchair Activist. It's been such a pleasure getting to know you in this format, but I just want to encourage every single person who is listening to this or reading it on YouTube to get in touch with with you and to, more importantly, read, read your amazing blog and follow some of the amazing work that you're doing but thank you so much thank you so much for having me it's been brilliant to chat to you finally in person after so long and (laughs) talk 
about so many important topics in such a, an honest and open way we have. So thank you. I feel very positive and very uplifted now. Yeah, I feel very reflective. So thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with Holly Took. I hope you found it as impactful as I did. I think we delved into some really important topics about the pressures that disabled people face to be perfect all the time, be positive all the time. And I really hope that you've taken something away from this. I want to remind you that we do have a GoFundMe set up for this podcast. We are 100% committed to accessibility here at The Realtor Activist. And we want to make sure that every bit of content is inclusive and accessible to all. Every donation allows us to continue doing this work, which includes captioning each and every episode and making it available on YouTube. Thank you so, so much to everyone who has donated so far and has allowed us to continue making this amazing podcast. Please give this podcast a share far and wide so everyone can enjoy the amazing content. This podcast has been hosted by me, Emma Vogelman, produced by me and Isabel Anderson, and edited by Joe Tapper. Thank you so much for listening, and I can't wait to see you in the next one.